0: listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, the publisher of ACOWatch.com, and your Pop Health Week co-host with my co-founder partner, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Our guest today is Gary Call, MD, the Chief Medical Officer at HMS. According to their website, HMS delivers healthcare technology, analytics, and engagement solutions to help reduce costs, improve health outcomes, and enhance member experiences. Dr. Call is a licensed and board certified family physician with experience in private practice and a former veteran health plan executive for a major national payer. Dr. Call joined HMS in 2015 to boost the clinical relevance of the company's existing offerings and provide medical oversight of the new rapidly developing solutions branded Total Population Management. So, Fred, over to you. Let's get to know Dr. Gary Call. Thank you so much, Greg. And Gary, welcome to Pop Health Week.
1: Thanks, Fred. Happy to be here.
2: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background and the work HMS does to start us off.
1: So I'm the chief medical officer for HMS, which means I'm over the development and implementation of all the clinical programs at HMS. I'm a family physician by trade, worked a long time both in private practice but also in managed care, and I've been working with HMS for about four years. HMS is a healthcare technology company. And really, our role is to provide data analytics and healthcare engagement solutions that help payers and employers reduce their healthcare costs and also improve health outcomes.
2: And a sense for clients how large the organization is?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're a publicly traded company with about 2,500 employees. We have a large client base across the spectrum of healthcare. We have more than 40 state Medicaid agencies that we work with. We work with the federal government through CMS and also through the VA. And we also have about 150 employers that we work with as well. So a pretty large base of and – I, and I don't think I said 325 health plans. So large base of uh, payers across the whole spectrum, which really gives us a big perspective on the national health care
2: scene. And so you've got data across different payer types – clientele, et cetera, age groups, and all of that. And I know we talked some about the announcement that was made by HMS and Digital Health CRC launching this U.S. research initiative. What exactly is the initiative and who are the partners?
1: So the DHCRC stands for Digital Health Cooperative Research Center. It's actually a, an initiative through the Australian government where they have taken opportunities to partner academic institutions and industry partners together. And so the Digital Health CRC is just the latest in a series of things that they've done. So Australia actually provided the initial funding, um, and there's additional funding from other government agencies, universities, and businesses, which actually totals more than $160 million for this Digital Health Research Initiative. And HMS really got involved through our CEO, uh, Bill Lucia, who had some business contacts in Australia, became aware of the Digital Health CRC. And because of uh, our interest in population health and improving healthcare outcomes and also the data uh, that we have, uh, Bill saw an opportunity for us to get involved with that, and so we became the lead U.S. partner in that initiative. So it's really about bringing people together to do research that actually improves health outcomes and solves real-world problems healthcare problems.
2: And I note also that you have some
1: universities involved in that. Yeah, so there's a lot of university partners in Australia, and as the lead U.S. partner, we've been bringing in universities here in the United States. So Stanford University and Southern Methodist University are the first two partners with which we finalized agreements and have projects underway with. There are additional other universities throughout the country that we're working with, as well as working with some of the universities in Australia. So it's really a broad-based. Uh, attempt to be not just Australia centric, but really more global than that, and trying to find the common healthcare problems that really are global in nature. And how do we how do we partner with academics in order to drive real solutions that will benefit everyone?
2: Yeah, and you mentioned a couple times this concept of of real world issues and going after real world solutions to those. Uh, what are some of the things you're working on?
1: Yeah, so as we were kind of thinking about which problems that we at HMS felt were really imperative for the healthcare system in the United States and for our clients, we thought of two things that really came to mind as the two number one needs that we wanted to focus on. The first was the opioid crisis, and that's been pretty well publicized. I mean, just the you know, the large number of opioid overdose deaths, the great increase in addiction problems that we've seen in the United States over the last number of years. And obviously, that's been a big focus of both government and industry, and also highly publicized in the media. So that initially was one of the things that came to mind was how can we how can we use all of the data that HMS has, and in partnership with the expertise in research that our university partners have? And how can we Come up with solutions that will make an impact in that opioid crisis so that was kind of the first thing that we came up with the second one is that one of the problems we have in the united states is hospital readmissions and it's a very large percentage of people who are in the hospital get readmitted to the hospital within 30 days for essentially the same problem in a lot of cases and so you know one of the things we wanted to look for was how do we use our data to come up with some models that help predict who is at risk for those readmissions, and how do we intervene there? So those were, there's there's many problems, obviously, in the healthcare system, and we certainly have a list of other things to focus on, but those were kind of two that came to the top as things that we really wanted to work on solving.
2: And obviously, the opioid crisis is a big issue here in the United States. Do they have a similar issue with that in Australia, or is it different?
1: Yeah, no, they definitely have an issue. Um, you know, I think that sometimes we get focused on the United States and feel like, wow, that's a U.S. problem, but it really is a worldwide mm-hmm. problem, and Certainly, you know, we've seen the, the devastation here, but uh, talking to the people in Australia, both the healthcare providers, the health systems and the academic researchers, it seems to be a really big problem there as well.
2: And how do you plan on going about doing that? What role will each of the organizations play? Who's going to do the analytics? How will that work?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the big things is, you know, obviously we have all the clients that we talked about at the beginning of the the time together, and mm-hmm. the, you know, having having big data is great, but you have to put it in a form that can be used. So obviously, Healthcare data in the United States has protected status. So the first thing is we create a limited data set of de-identified data to get around any privacy concerns. None of the data can be tracked back to any particular individual, and that's really important To make everybody feel comfortable with that the next step for us is getting approval from our clients to participate in the research and allow their data to be used so those are kind of the first things that we do and then we engage with the academic center so we go through and and we work with data scientists to sort of standardize and cleanse the data and get it in a position where the researchers can use it in addition to de-identifying And so we start with that, and then we work with the teams at the universities to actually outline the project. So, for example, we're working with Stanford University on the project around opioids, and really their idea and what they're pursuing is to try to develop claims database predictive analytics models, which will help us identify potential opioid misuse risk factors. And so, you know, looking at patients who have no previous abuse history, and looking at patients who then develop at-risk behaviors or even opioid misuse disorders. And what are the characteristics of those patients that we can pull out of claims data that would help us identify them and do some early education or early intervention before, you know, the problem actually develops. And at the same time, doing the same kind of thing for prescribers so doing a predictive model for prescribers who pres- whose prescribing patterns really create killer issues that put patients at risk. So we feel like by doing those two things, we really try to move the conversation in a different direction. If you look at a lot of the things that have been done around opioid uh, misuse disorder in the United States and the opioid overdose problem, a lot of them are system fixes. So, you know, we're changing prescribing limits and we're, working to, you know, control what kind of medications go to certain kinds of patients. But, you know, the one thing that kind of is missing in my estimation is more of a personal touch, like how do we determine how to do outreach to individuals who are at risk, whether it's a patient or a prescriber, and help them avoid the pitfalls that that seem to come with opioid misuse. So those are kind of some of the projects that Stanford is focusing on, and, and they've already started working on that. We have a little bit of preliminary data, so we're really looking forward to them continuing to develop those models that will help us have a strong outreach capability for people at risk.
2: And how will Stanford be working with that? Is it the, the faculty and professors there, the students working it? Who's, who's going to be helping to build those models?
1: Yeah, so we have a faculty sponsor, and her name is Dr. Tina Hernandez-Boussard, and she's an associate professor in medicine, biomedical data science, and surgery at Stanford University. And she has her postdoctoral and Ph.D. students available to work on this project. So it's really a partnership opportunity for her team of students to get access to this large database. And I just wanna talk about maybe how rare a database like this is. There really are not very many large data sets like this in the United States, which is really kind of the unique contribution that HMS brings to the table. Uh, One of the things that you see in the United States is just a fragmentation of our medical data. And there aren't very many repositories where there's this much claims data available to do this kind of research. And so I think that that's what we bring. But she's got her team of students with that database bringing their ideas and their innovation and plus their academic research expertise. And that's really the beauty of the partnership between industry and academics is bringing the, the real world problems to the table, bringing the data and then taking advantage of the expertise that the Stanford team has in doing academic research to drive real results.
2: So this will give the students, then, an opportunity to work on something that has application beyond just publications or research.
1: Exactly. I mean, what we're looking for is really an opportunity, and I think Stanford the same, is an opportunity for their students to get experience in the real world. So not just doing an academic project to get their Ph.D. for the sake of doing a project, but really learning – how to apply academic principles into the healthcare space and i think that that will obviously by creating that kind of partnership you know create job opportunities for students and real world experience and but also benefits industry by bringing in people who can right off the bat have the kind of experience that we need with our data scientists and the work that we do with our data to allow us to expand the focus of things that we do internally here within the industry
2: and will will data also be coming into this from Australia? Are there differences in that data, or could you take the U.S. kind of thing and believe you can apply that to Australia? How might that
1: work? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Australia actually has worse information silos than the United States, as you talk to the the providers and the academics in Australia, because of the way the Australian healthcare system is set up. They have very clear payment silos and sort of care silos for primary care specialty care, hospital care, each one has its own individual database. And and even though they're starting to try to bring those together, they don't really have a way to bring that together in a way that HMS is able to do the data that we have. So it was a real imperative, I think, for the folks in Australia to get HMS and the data set that we can bring to the table into this project. And I think there's enough similarities between what's going on in healthcare in Australia and the U.S., that I think the database can be used to benefit both healthcare systems and honestly, really probably other healthcare systems throughout the world. I think a lot of the insights that will be gained from this research can really be applied across you know, multiple healthcare systems. At least that's kind of the goal of what we're looking for.
2: And so let's say they've run these, they've they've created this algorithm off your your data set, off of claims, et cetera, and can now begin to identify either individuals at risk for opioid abuse or addiction, as well as providers who may create or, or set up individuals at risk for that. Is the idea to take those algorithms and then build them into your platform to be used by the various companies you work with?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the goals of the Australian CRCs is to actually develop commercialized products that can be brought into industry. So the goal of us working with Stanford on the opioid project, for example, would be to create this predictive model that allows us to identify people at risk and then using that information to do outreach programs. So for example, HMS has a has a technology outreach program that we do that allows for engagement and outreach to patients who have problems that payers are trying to influence the behavior on. So as we're trying to help people adopt healthier behaviors, then, you know, being able to have these kinds of predictive models really allows us to appropriately find people who need help and reach out to them in a way that's meaningful to them. So again, it's kind of taking this academic research and then putting it in a position where it can solve these real-world problems. So it's great to have a model, but then the next step is to take that model and use it to really drive interventions that make a difference in people's lives and change the the curve on the opioid uh, misuse problem that we have here in the country.
2: I understand you use mostly a claims data set for this. Are there any other elements or pieces of data you think you you already are bringing in or you might need to further enhance that model, or do you feel pretty confident given where you're at with with the data sets you've got?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think we feel comfortable with the data sets we have. I mean, claims data has a lot of advantages. Um, Mm -hmm. It's easy to aggregate and standardize. All of the data is structured. There's no unstructured data in a claims uh, database. And so – And there's also a limited number of data fields, so you're not overwhelmed with the number of of data fields that you have to play with. I think it's a lot easier to de-identify than something like EHR data. But the real real advantage to me of claims data is it sort of creates this linear timeline of a patient's journey through the healthcare system. And you can see all the different diagnoses, the providers they've interacted with, um, which medications they've taken and what services they've gotten. And by being able to follow that story that really allows you a lot of ability to do different things with research and really look at opportunities uh, that focus on a lot of different elements that may interact and again ehrs are great Mm -hmm. but because there's almost too much data and and it's it's not standardized um, or structured in a way that's very easy to work with a lot of times and so i think claims data has some real advantages and again I think the claims data set that HMS brings to the table is pretty rare in the size and scope of it. You know, we go back with many of our payers over 10 years. So again, we can help tell that linear story. Now one of the big buzzwords in in healthcare right now is the social determinants of health. And so Mm -hmm. we're always looking for ways to bring social determinants of health data into the picture as well. And I think there's opportunities that you can do that with, you know, pairing claims data and social determinants data to do some things. And we're actually in discussions with with a university about how to partner those two data streams in a meaningful way to help solve the problem. You know, one of the interesting things about social determinants of health is we talk about it a lot, but actually coming up with ways to impact it seems like uh, we're not really there yet. So that's one of the things that's of interest to us as maybe a future project is to – start to bring those two data streams together and figure out how to use those to drive interventions that make a difference for people.
2: Yeah, I can see clearly where the potential social determinants of health data would be helpful to probably enhance the model, but your point about the timeline is very interesting with claims data, because it might be, as you're talking about, that not that something occurred here for these individuals, but when they occurred within the time frames for those people, there may be some trend you identify that shows these things happen to occur. And if you see it in this order over a period of time or within a certain period of time, that might lead to uh, somebody who is at risk or, or addicted, I
1: guess. Yeah, no, I think that's where, you know, big data analytics technology really comes into play is looking for those patterns. And so, again, that linear format that's available with the claims data is looking for associations and temporal associations that you might be able to find. And, again, using those big data analytics techniques really opens up a whole new world that that we really haven't had in the past. And, again, so there's all kinds of buzzwords here with big data and artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, I mean, those are all things we hear a lot in the industry, but these are real opportunities to use this data set in that linear fashion and look for those associations. And that's why we really feel like the claims data set, is really a great place to be as far as trying to develop these kinds of models that we've talked about today.
2: So as this goes along do you have a time frame for when you may be starting to see some results from this or any sense of that?
1: Yeah I mean the time frame is different depending on the the resources of the academic institution. You know that the Digital Health CRC is a seven-year funded project by the Australian government and plus the partners that are involved so It's really kind of a a seven-year odyssey as we try to go through and and fund projects, and maybe we'll have subsequent projects that build off the first one. For some of our initial projects, you know, I talked a lot about the Stanford project. They've already developed some initial conclusions from some preliminary research, and obviously it it wasn't final, and they're they're still kind of playing with the data and trying to get the data in better shape. But, you know, there were already a little bit of preliminary data come out of that, and and I think that what we're looking for next is – I think from the Stanford team, they're really looking to have a model. Uh, my understanding is within the next six months or so that we could start to use to drive some of these outreach and, and interventions. I think for the other project with SMU on the predictive model, looking at characteristics and risk factors for hospital readmissions, I think the timeline that, that the director there, Dr. Heichen, had had put out there was, probably about a year to try to put together a model. But, again, those are pretty remarkable timeframes to Mm -hmm. try to get usable predictive models out of data. So that's kind of what we're working with right now. And like I said, we're in negotiation with some other universities, both here in the United States and also in Australia, that will allow us to do other projects. That's kind of the timeline. We're really trying to turn things around quickly to – to have an immediate impact. I don't want to come out with an opioid predictive model in seven years. That doesn't really help solve the crisis that we're (laughs) in. So we're really really trying to get some urgency behind that, that I think everybody in the country feels to solve the problem.
2: Absolutely. No, that's, that's great to hear. Are you able to discuss any of the other potential areas you're looking to explore?
1: I mean, one of the things that we're looking at is geospatial mapping of social determinants of health. That's in preliminary phases to look at. And I just think there's a lot of other opportunities of looking for how do we identify people who need extra care, extra outreach, extra education. So we talked about the opioids and the readmissions, but there's also models around chronic illness like diabetes. You know, how do we bend the curve of diabetes? It's been sort of something that population health and disease management programs uh, that I've been involved in for many years have been trying to do so how do we predict which and what characteristics maybe predict people who are going to have you know outcomes that are less than optimal? And then what are some engagement opportunities that we can do that actually make a difference for them? So I think research around chronic disease, social determinants of health, and trying to come up with models that allow us to identify people that, who will respond and what kind of interventions are effective. Those are kind of some of the projects that we're sort of focused around
2: going forward. Yes, it's it's really a great area. And and you just sort of laid out the three pieces I talked about recently with some friends and put it up on what's now we call Pop Health Minute, which is this idea that originally we had these descriptive analytics. You know, hey, we have this claims data. We have 250 people with diabetes. Then you're going to go to this idea of analytics where we can predict things which is what you're working on now, predict who might be at risk for opioids. And you're already talking about the next phase, which is great to hear, which is this concept of prescriptive analytics, obviously, where you can say, hey, for individual XYZ, we know we can prescribe this sort of an intervention to get the outcome that will improve their health. So a fascinating project in the way you're looking at it.
1: Yeah, I think one of the reasons population health hasn't reached its full potential is because we've been I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. We've been doing systematic things. We've been looking at systems and processes, and I think those are all important. But when you can tailor it down and really segment it by the individual level, I think that's where the real opportunity is, because each individual has their own healthcare story, and each individual has their own set of things that they'll respond to. So it's kind of up to us to figure out what those are and how to really drive those individual characteristics to get people to want to change and help them change their health behaviors, which is really sort of what we all need to get to in healthcare care to get the kind of outcomes that we really want.
2: Yeah, that whole concept of taking this down to an n of one with a precision medicine approach built, built upon the data. Fantastic. What do you see changing in this industry or potentially coming out in the next three to five years from the data? What excites you?
1: I think one of the things that excites me from the data is we still see a lot of people using high cost methods to do outreach and engagement. So one of the things that's exciting to us by being able to really get these kinds of models down and then being able to use data analytics to drive effective technology outreach. So having a a case manager call a member, that's great, but that's not really sustainable on a scale that we need to really turn the healthcare outcomes in this country around. So one of the things that excites me is all the research that's being done in digital and multimodal outreach and propensity to change analytics, and some of the analytics around behavior change science, and, and how do we get people to actually change behavior and incorporating that science into outreach. I mean, those are all things that we're working on at HMS. So, really, using technology as a force multiplier for kind of our overstretched clinical assets that we have in the United States healthcare system. I see that as really something exciting. I mean, technology is being adopted by almost everyone in the country at at an unprecedented rate. So if we can harness that to drive better healthcare outcomes, that's an exciting opportunity, but there's a lot of work that has to be done. And most of that is centered around big data analytics of how do we actually reach people with a message that they care about that will help them change in a delivered in a way that's meaningful to them at a time that's meaningful to them, and then being able to follow up those successes with continued interventions that help guide people to be a, a self-directed consumer using technology to really make strides forward in their health.
2: HMS, as I'm hearing you talk about this, isn't just really, you know, a data analytics firm looking at claims and this and that, but you're now looking at real world problems and try to develop new algorithms, as well as this whole area in population health of engagement, which is sort of the holy grail. If we can get the individuals engaged with the right stuff at the right time, obviously, we can have a profound impact on the healthcare system. Fantastic to hear you talking about that.
1: Yeah, thanks. That really is the goal. I mean, you know, HMS started as a, as a cost containment system based on the right people paying the right claim. But in recent years, we're, we've really seen that the future is to use data and technology to engage people to change to healthy behaviors and really take charge of their own health care. And so that's really where, where we think the company is going, where the industry is going. And, and so we're excited to be part of that.
2: Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, Gary. Really interesting information. And perhaps when you've got some of that uh, work done and some of that initial information back, and I know you've got some early stuff from Stanford, maybe we can get you back on the show and talk some more about some of your results and what you found.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Fred. Really a pleasure to be here. Uh, Appreciate the work that you guys are doing. And we'd love to come back at a future date uh, and talk some more about uh, some of the results that we've gotten.
2: Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Gary. And I'll turn it back over to you, Greg.
0: And Thank you, Fred. That will be the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. Gary Call, the Chief Medical Officer at HMS, for his time. For more information on HMS or to follow their work, go to www.hms.com. And do follow them on Twitter via at HMS Healthcare. For Pop Health Week, my colleague Fred Goldstein and Healthcare Now Radio, this is Greg Masters saying bye now.